There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Well, we're joined first by the former Director General of the HSC, now Strategic Advisor and Columnist with the Business Post, Tony O'Brien. Tony, firstly, the comments tonight by the CMO, Tony Holohan, were quite downbeat, almost negative. Do you agree with his assessment that we could be walking ourselves into serious trouble? Well, the numbers we're seeing certainly indicate that. It's worth remembering that we went into level five. The objective was to get down to about 100 cases a day or less. And since we came back into level three, we've seen those numbers rising. And we're just a few days away from the green signal being given to get into into county travel and to assemble in people's homes, albeit in limited numbers. So at this level, I think we're potentially on a very dangerous course. And it's important that the CMO has signaled that so that we can all take note of what we individually need to do. Well, how would you expect people to react to what he's saying? I would, I would hope that people would be reconsidering uh, whether inter-county travel is a good idea in the next few weeks, would certainly be reconsidering intergenerational family gatherings. With that amount of COVID-19 apparently now circulating in the community, each time we go into someone else's home, we present a risk to them. Um, so we need to consider very carefully whether we should do that. We should also be thinking about going into crowded shops. If they're crowded, walk past. If we've made bookings in restaurants, reconsider whether that's a good idea. And certainly if we turn up and they don't look like they're COVID-safe environments, then walk away. Uh, this is not a time to be taking risks. And in particular, we don't want to build up a situation where the health system is struggling to cope at the very same time that we're expecting it to roll out this very important vaccine, which, as we know, could be available within a matter of weeks now. And I'll come back to the vaccine in a moment with you, Tony, but how concerned would you be about the situation in the north for the people in the north, but also its potential effects on us in the south? Well, the situation in the north is really very concerning, and I'm speaking here from a border county just south of the border. And it's a border that I have steadily not been crossing recently. I think what we've seen in the north is a complete failure of political leadership, which has over the course of this year not seen the issue of COVID being taken as seriously as it should have been. And even now, after a two-week so-called circuit break, which would never have been long enough to bring about real change, we see numbers that are very concerning. Images last night of patients being treated in 17 ambulances parked outside a single hospital. The chair of the British Medical Association's Northern Ireland Committee just today a warning very seriously about the dangers that the health system in the north is wandering towards, a situation where the health system in the south may have to bail them out, uh, provide much-needed care to patients. And at the same time, we don't seem to see political leaders doing what they need to do. It's time they stepped up to the plate. The north is in a very bad situation. But could the same happen in the Republic 
if our numbers go up significantly, could our hospitals have the same experiences of ambulances parked in the car park treating people? Well, fortunately, we haven't seen that this year. And the measures that have been taken, which have been very difficult, I know, for many people in many sectors of the economy, have ensured that that hasn't happened. And what's critical now is that all of that hard work, all of the sacrifice, all of the economic impact of the last nine months should not be sacrificed or jeopardized now for the sake of a few days over Christmas. Um, so I think every whatever the government says the rules are, and the government needs to obviously look carefully at what NEFET will say to them tomorrow, each of us individually have the ability to affect. If we don't circulate, then COVID can't circulate. If we don't take it into the houses of our elderly or vulnerable residents, then they can't be infected. That's an individual choice we must all make. Uh, and particularly with what's going on in the North and the possibility that our own health system may have to help out, we can't afford to have a huge spike here. And we certainly can't, can't afford to have one coming into the new year with everything else that we need the health system to do for us. Given your experience of the HSE as its former boss and knowledge of its capabilities, how confident are you about it being able to quickly and effectively roll out the vaccines when they do come into the country? The HSE has demonstrated considerable ability to marshal its forces this year and to do things at speed that previously would have taken much longer. The implementation plan that was published yesterday is a very impressive document. It's an honest document, but it's also important to stress that this isn't going to happen all at once. There is going to be an initially limited supply of vaccine. It's going to be targeted at those that most need it. And the HSE will have the opportunity to develop its capacity, its lines of communication and its systems before there is a sufficient level of supply that we can get into mass vaccinations. Um, so they have been doing a lot of work. I'm aware of that. I think that they have the capacity to do this. The HSE knows about the delivery of vaccines. Admittedly, this is a bigger challenge trying to vaccinate as many of the population as will agree to do it, and ideally getting up, up above the 90% mark. Uh, but I do believe the HSE has the capacity to do that. But we need to help the HSE by doing things that don't cause it to be stressed in other places, particularly the result of widespread COVID infection. And we can all do something about that. We can all continue to do the things that we have in fact been doing and perhaps redoubling them. Uh, Tony, there's been a lot of publicity about vaccinations been administered in Britain and now in the United States. Would it be a good idea, do you think, to, for public morale to get vaccinations done here in the Republic in the two weeks before the end of the year? Or would you fear that that might be rushing things just to make a point? Look, I don't think it's a particularly material fact whether we have a handful or a few thousand vaccinations done here before the new year or immediately after it. I think we've seen the United States and the UK have been very keen to do that. But those are countries that have you know, pretty comprehensively failed at all of the first line measures that they should have done. And they're rushing at this, understandably. Uh, but I don't think we should judge the success or otherwise of, of our government or the HSE on whether or not a few thousand of these vaccines are delivered before New Year. It's not going to make a material difference. The important thing is that when they become available, it's dependent upon a decision of the European Medicines Agency, then the arrival of the stock and so on. It's important that it's done right. Yes, it would be very nice if it could be done before New Year, but I don't think we should put excessive pressure on people to move at a faster pace than can be done or consider it a negative if it doesn't happen. Because if it doesn't happen two or three days before New Year, it'll certainly, subject to that decision of the EMA, be happening a few 
few days afterwards, and then the whole program can begin to roll forward. So it would be nice, but I don't think it's a material thing. Tony, stay with us, please. I want to turn to our guests on the panel. Sean Kine of Finnegal, I want to start with you. With the news emerging in the last hour or so that there's a school, a primary school in Clorgan in County Kerry, which is now shutting. Uh, 17 pupils apparently have cases of coronavirus. All teachers and pupils are to be tested and everyone apparently is going to lose Christmas. They're going to have to isolate till the 30th of December. What more can you tell us about this? Um, it's, it's, as I said, breaking, breaking news story. Obviously, any school closures have to be on advice uh, from the health authorities. We saw this in Clare Morris last week where the department intervened because um, the HSE hadn't recommended closure at that stage and they recommended closure in other schools as well. So it is a very serious, uh, serious situation. Will this put the pressure on now maybe to close the schools this Friday instead of waiting until next Tuesday, get a couple of days where at least there aren't large congregations of children and teachers together. Uh, obviously, NEFIS will be assessing all of these situations, and if there's a need, they will give a recommendation uh, to government. But uh, I cannot say any more than that. Obviously, any any case uh, is difficult, and any uh, you know surge in a community is particularly worrying. Uh, particularly coming up to Christmas when you're going to have more people uh, circulating uh, and possibly people coming home as well. Kingston, should the schools be given the option of closing for next Monday and Tuesday if they feel it's the right thing? I think the schools have done very well. I mean, we, we have relatively low numbers of cases associated with schools and it's very important that the schools stay open as much as possible because education is absolutely paramount that we keep that going. So I would be in full favour of, of limited measures of school closures only where necessary. But just maybe these two days yeah. going into the Christmas period yeah, to ensure that everything can start again in January as planned. I don't see any issue with that at all. Will that be something you think that'll be considered by the government? Uh, again, if NEFET advised that it's something that should be... Uh, Does it always have to be NEFET advised? Can the government uh, well, not you know, actually make decisions well, for of course, itself? Of course they can, and they have in the past. They've gone against NEFET advice, but I mean, uh, at the end of the day, the Minister has, in, in individual cases, commented that the HSE and the health authorities have to give their advice locally in relation to any individual school, and if there is to be a full closure of schools, that would be a matter of... Well, talking to of give a recommendation NEFET advice, we heard the Chief Medical Officer is very worried by the increased numbers now that we've gone back over 400 new cases. Uh, is this now tipping at the odds likely to be that we're going to have to go back to level five restrictions in January? Well, it's certainly, uh, it's certainly a wake-up call. And, um, you know, it's good news that a vaccine is, is, is imminent. It's on the way. But that's, you know, until such time as the majority of people are vaccinated, we cannot let our guard down individually and collectively um, within households, within communities. We have to be on guard. We have to maintain our social distances and all the other uh, things that people need to do in terms of wearing masks, in terms of uh, not shaking hands, in terms of, um, you know, not doing things that unless we, we really have to. And people have to make their own decisions over Christmas period whether you need to go to that restaurant, uh, whether you need to go to, 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 for, for, a few, for a few pints, uh, and you have to make that judge, judgment call. But you've um, opened these up again, and you're now trying to encourage people to use your judgment to not actually go to the very places you've allowed to open up. Well, government made the decision not to reopen, for example, the wet pubs, the pubs that, and that, the, the reason for that was that they felt that that would increase the risk uh, of the spread of the virus. But again, people have to use their own common sense. If a community, if there is a, a, an increase in an incident, in a local community, they have to make the judgment call. Uh, do they need to go uh, wherever to the hairdressers to... to Kingston, to how worried are you about the prospect of a resurgence and how bad do you fear it might get? Absolutely no doubt we will have a resurgence um, and it's already starting and by January it will be significant. It will be higher, I predict, than the, the last surge. Does that mean we're going to have thousands of new cases every day? I suspect we will because, uh, you know, the in inevitability of it uh, when opening of restrictions for a two-week period over Christmas, people coming in from other countries 
countries. Remember, Ireland is actually in a better place than nearly the rest of Europe and a lot of the world in, compared with Are we in danger US. of throwing away the successes, the relative successes we've had over the last couple of months? To a certain extent, we are. I mean, I think it's in the, in the, in the hands of the public, really. If they buy into the measures that have been suggested to them by the government, then we can um, you know, help, help to minimise it. But I think if, if we don't, in terms of meeting up with too many people, um, there's inevitably going to be more cases. And I think we, we, we're already seeing the beginning of that in the last couple of days. And it's inevitable over the Christmas period is going to be worse. And how fearful are you of flights coming in that maybe the traffic of people coming in will really increase from this weekend and over the following days? Well, how much damage might that do? Well, as I said already, the you know, Ireland is probably the best country in Europe right now in terms of number of cases per 100,000. So all the flights coming from the UK, from all over Europe, from the, from, from the US, there's a huge risk of re-importing the virus. And if the people um, adhere to the measures of 14-day isolation or the test five days after arrival, that's fine. But a, a lot of people are not adhering Would you tell to people not to travel? Yeah, I mean, my own daughter lives in Boston. Um, we haven't seen her since last Christmas. She's not coming this Christmas because she, we, she and I don't feel it's safe for her to come. Why hasn't the government issued firmer advice instead of leaving it up to people saying, work out for yourself whether it's essential or not? Why haven't you actually come out and say, look, please don't travel? Well, I mean, we saw the reaction uh, when when uh, Tánaiste said that it was too soon to make a judgment call. That was maybe a month ago. You saw the reaction, uh, um, you know... People didn't like it, so you yeah, don't people, want to say no, something again no, that no, people not won't at all. like. I mean, they, 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 at all times, we have uh, encouraged people to do the right thing and to make that judgment call. And just as Kingston said about his daughter, my sister won't be coming home for Christmas this year from London for those reasons. And, you know, people have to make that judgment call. It's not easy. Uh, you know, you have people want to come home to see their elderly parents, but is it safe? If they have to make that call and um, you know that's 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 the advice we've been giving people well just one thing before we get to the vaccines it's been reported that your party leader the Sonisha Leo Varadkar has told the parliamentary party Finnegal parliamentary party that restrictions and gatherings will be in a place for at least the next three months and probably six so why did he say that and what sort of examples did he give and what did he mean by gatherings I didn't hear those comments, to be honest. I was in the, the Shannon for the finance uh, bill. But um, again, I'm sure he's assessing that there may be a surge after Christmas. And I, I think many people accept that there will be, unfortunately, um, after the Christmas period, that there will be a surge uh, in January. At what level, we don't know. But more importantly than that at this stage is the increasing numbers at this exact moment. That is very, very worrying. What restrictions and gatherings would you anticipate, Kingston? Because well, I know you're not a lockdown fan. <laughs> no, I'm not a lockdown fan. I'm more in favour of everybody buying into the measures and having very good contact tracing and testing. Um, um, measures to, con to contain it. Um, you know, we talk about the vaccine being, this, being the, 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 um, the get out of jail clause. It's not going to um, have any impact on the epidemic until late next year, in my view. So the initial out, uh, rollout will be for people, um, healthcare workers and people in nursing homes. And that's great. They, they will be protected from them ending up in hospital and, and dying from the disease. But the general public won't be protected um, in the short term. They won't get the vaccine for a start in the short term because it's going to be the middle of next year before there's enough vaccine to roll out in general. Now remember, we, we don't even have a vaccine licensed in Europe yet. The, the likelihood is that the first one will be licensed next week and then maybe one more after Christmas. That will give us um, two million doses between the Moderna and the Pfizer vaccine, which will immunise 1.5 million. But the bulk of that won't come probably until the middle of next year. So, you know, we, we can't look upon the vaccine as the way out of this. We have to continue to 
adhere to the measures of isolation and restrictions, unfortunately, to, to get through the, the, the winter and into the spring. Tony, go back to you. I mean, would you share those concerns that it's going to take a long time to roll out the vaccine? And given what you said earlier, do you fear that if there is a surge of cases that the health service has to deal with, that it will delay that rollout of the vaccine? Well, first of all, Kingston is, is right, that it's not sensible to expect that we'll get the benefit of the vaccine until well into the second half of next year. Just the, the sheer logistics of getting that supplied and administered and the pipeline, even though there are six different vaccines that are subject to pre-purchase orders, none of which are yet approved, hopefully many of which will, that the sheer logistics is going to take some time. And until, and on, on the assumption that this is sufficiently acceptable to the population and the government's doing a good job, I think, of promoting acceptance of this vaccine, and probably in excess of 75% of the population have had it, it's not going to be reasonable to return to what we call normal life. So some level of restrictions, certainly mass gatherings, pop concerts, that type of thing, are not in prospect for the first half of next year, in my view. Uh, but that having been said, all these things are there in the future. It's just a question of timing. On your, on your second question, clearly, we only have one health system. That health system is facing huge demands all the time. COVID has been an extraordinary demand. And we have to be realistic, I think, and recognise that if we place on it the burden of dealing with a big upsurge of COVID infection and illness as a result, that will affect the resources that it has available to it to deliver the vaccine. Now, clearly, they will look at all sorts of parallel strategies to minimise that effect. But it's unrealistic to think that if there was a big upsurge in COVID and hospitalisation and ICU demands and everything that that creates, that that won't in some way limit the, the speed at which the vaccine can be delivered. Though obviously everyone will do their best to minimise that impact. But we too, all of us, have to make those choices. Uh, and the danger, of course, is that the prospect of the vaccine is driving some of the behaviours that are leading to the higher numbers that we're seeing now. And it's important we all understand this prospect of a vaccine does nothing for what we need to do for the next few months. We have to continue doing what we've been doing for the last nine and being really disciplined. And that is hard, and I know it's hard, but that's simply what we have to do. OK, Kingston, I want to go back to you about the vaccine because there's all sorts of stories going around about the vaccine and not just from people who might be regarded as anti-vaxxers. There are people who want to know that if you get the vaccine, does it protect you from spreading the virus to somebody else or does it merely stop you getting sick? Well, the short answer to that is we don't yet know. Um, the clinical trials for the Pfizer and the Moderna vaccine didn't measure the, the capacity of the vaccine to prevent infection. It only measured could the vaccine stop people from COVID-19 disease. Now, the AstraZeneca vaccine trial was a little different. They actually swabbed everybody once a week after they got the vaccine. And they were able to tell then whether people were protected against asymptomatic infection as well. And the outcome of it was a bit equivocal in that the efficacy was around 27%. And they, I don't know if, if people remember, but there was a low dose and a high dose in that trial. And bizarrely, the lower dose gave better efficacy. But the, the, the bottom line is that there's very little evidence that that vaccine prevents infection. OK, do you think are we going to face a situation whereby people, if they want to get on a flight or if they want to go to a concert or a football match, are going to have to provide proof of vaccination, some sort of vaccine certificate? Yeah, that's been talked about. I think it's a, it's a good idea in that it, partly it's a good idea because it encourages vaccination, which is a positive. Um, and, um, but the one slight risk with it is it doesn't 
definitively say that that person is protected. Because remember, even though the vaccines are 95% effective, five in every 100 people that get vaccinated have potential to get infected if they get exposed. And you can't assume that everybody is protected. And the second thing is that, as you, as you said already, it does prevent disease. It doesn't necessarily prevent infection. Therefore, people could get infected. Now, it's very likely they won't spread it, but they could. Is that something that the government will have to consider, sort of vaccination passports? Or would you fear that those then who aren't vaccinated could be discriminated against? Um, it's, it's certainly, certificates or passports are, are being considered um, across the European Commission, um, I think. And, um, you know, I think it makes sense. Yes, there will be people who will refuse to get a vaccine, and obviously nobody can be forced to. Uh, but in order to protect the majority, um, I think a cert and a passport would be, would be a good idea. OK, we have to leave it there for now. My thanks to Tony O'Brien and Professor Kingston Mills for joining us. Sean Kine will be staying with us after the break when we'll be hearing more on the grave situation in the north and how robust restrictions may be needed to curb the virus. And more on Boris Johnson's warnings to the whole of the UK. Have yourselves a merry little Christmas. And I'm afraid this year I do mean little. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Welcome back. Fine Gael, Sean Kine is still with us, but we're also joined by Sinn Féin TD, David Collinan, and first via Skype by Derry GP Nicola Heron. Nicola, we've seen some shocking scenes of ambulances in car parks and hospitals, hearing of 104% capacity, and now the possibility of more restrictions. As a GP, how concerned are you? Uh, I'm very concerned. Um, we have, we've been dealing with this pandemic now for months, and... Obviously, it's become very, very difficult to, um, to I suppose, ration the, the hospital beds that are available. Um, the difficulty is that the hospitals are already at capacity even before surges. The staff levels are down due to sickness, due to people self-isolating or having to shield. And every time a group of staff need to do that, then that's beds that aren't available for patients. I mean, I suppose it's the one silver lining whenever this vaccine becomes available for us all, that the staff will get vaccinated and that will actually improve the capacity of the hospitals. Could all of this have been avoided and how? Sorry? Could all of this have been avoided and if so, how could it have been avoided? Gosh, that's a very difficult question. Um, I, I think we are learning as we go with this virus and it's becoming increasingly apparent that 
the numbers in, in the community that have the virus are directly related to how open and how free the community is. Um, the more interaction we have with other people, the more opportunity this virus has to spread from person to person. Um, a decision was made that was correct to keep schools open, but when we, when we decided to do that, um, without maybe enough safeguards within the schools, inevitably the classrooms were full of, of students and students were moving from between home into school, from school back to home, um, lots and lots of interactions from people. Uh, and it has become apparent in London now they're actually testing students in school because especially at secondary level, once you get to 14, 15, you're just a young adult. So that propensity to catch the infection, to spread the infection is equal to that of an adult. So far, it seems that young children, primary school age, are maybe not as likely to either catch or spread the infection. But when we get to secondary school, that's definitely the case. So we need to think long and hard about how we can safeguard our schools, our students, our teachers, and then therefore the community if we are wanting to keep our schools open and at full capacity. Okay, well, Nicola, we have our schools open in the Republic and with a few exceptions, we haven't had major problems. The perception down here might be that many of your problems have been caused by political mismanagement, rows at the executive and the opening up of society a little bit too quickly. What's your view on that? Yeah, it, it, it feels as if decisions were made based on... Um, I suppose, economic basis rather than on the numbers, the R number, the actual circulating number. Um, if you look just purely at the virus and you don't take into consideration the broader, I suppose, the, the things we have to consider, which is people's, the psychological impact of a, of a pandemic. But if we look purely at the virus, obviously, when the numbers are high, the last thing you want to do is increase the interactions between people. When we opened up again last week, there was, in, amongst the medical communities, there was great anxiety because we, re, we knew that the numbers were already high, that we were starting at a high base and that that was going to cause a problem because, you know, if you look at the, the number of days that for the numbers to double, um, in the north we're sitting at about 80 days, in the south it's nearly 300 days. That, that's a big, big difference. Um, and especially when you're already at a high level, and you double that number, that, that's when our services start to become overwhelmed. And Nicola, finally, you are having enhanced restrictions from tomorrow, but do you think are they likely to have to be almost a very firm clampdown, which could ruin Christmas if the numbers continue to rise and your hospitals can't cope? The impression I get is a lot of people feel that they are weary of the pandemic, they're weary of the virus. The difficulty is when we open up society, but it actually does boil down to very much to personal responsibility. Um, when we are close to people around Christmas time, it's easy to let your guard down. Often people are now going to be seeing people they haven't seen for a long time. And it's, it's difficult not to have a closer personal interaction with that person, but it is absolutely vital. There is nobody that wants to give the gift of COVID this Christmas. It's really important that we behave as if we already have COVID, which means that we have to put on our masks, keep our, give people space, give ourselves space, wash our hands frequently. All of those basic things make a difference. What's interesting is I work in the COVID assessment centre and not one member of staff has caught the virus working in that centre. And that is because we are absolutely meticulous about wearing our masks, washing our hands, 
keeping distance between the people that are working in the centre and between ourselves and the patients as much as we possibly can. So in you know in nine months in that centre, not one person has caught the virus. It shows that if you do the right thing, you can protect yourself and then you can protect others. Dr Nicola Heron, thank you for joining us from Derry this evening. David Cullinan, would you accept that we've done a lot better in the South than has been achieved in the North, where you do share power? Well, first of all, I'm as concerned as anybody else, Matt, about the rising numbers in the North and also of reports of ambulances outside hospitals. It's obviously not what anybody wants to see, and I am very concerned. I'll remind you that a couple of weeks ago, I was on your show with Jim Wells, Emily, you might recall, and I warned at that time, and Sinn Féin warned, and Michelle O'Neill warned, that the circuit breaker came too late and was too short. And we said that lives will be lost, that huge pressures would be put on our frontline hospital services. And we said we have to listen and act on the advice given by the chief medical officer. We were a lone voice. In the executive, we were the only ones which supported the chief medical officer's advice and tougher restrictions. That's a fact, that's a reality. And what Michelle O'Neill has said today, and she convened a meeting of the executive yesterday, that will convene again tomorrow. She has sought a full report from the health minister, and she has said that all options have to be on the table, because what we want to see in the north, and indeed in this state, because we're also seeing rising numbers in this state, Matt, we're seeing the incident rate per 100,000 increase, we're seeing hospitalisations increase. We heard from the chief medical officer today that he is concerned about the trend in, in cases, but of course the numbers in the north are exceptionally high. But hold on, high. If, you, if you're concerned by what Dr Tony Holohan has been saying as well, would that suggest that you would favour what he favours, which is not maybe opening out inter-county travel from Friday, and not allowing people to move around the country? Well, of course, we have to listen to all of the medical advice, north and south, but I don't believe that firm proposals have been made by the Chief Medical Officer and by Neffid yet to government. They may well, and they may well come in the but form We do of know they didn't want the opening the up the reduction from Tier 5 to Tier 3. We're now seeing the numbers. Would you be in favour, based on what you know of Dr Tony Holland's criticisms and the numbers you're seeing, of having tougher restrictions over the Christmas period than this government plans? What I would say to people, Matt, is that people obviously want to have a good Christmas it has been a very, very tough year and people have to take personal responsibility. Everybody has to look to themselves. We have to make sure that we listen very much to the public health advice and the public health advice may change over the next number of days and weeks. Well, if that happens, if the numbers keep climbing, Sean Kine, and if the Chief Medical Officer and Enfit say, look, this is, we're losing control of this, will the government have the guts to say we need to lock down the plans to open up for Christmas? Um, that will be a very difficult decision that Cabinet will have to face if that recommendation uh, comes about. Clearly the situation here is, is worrying, but the situation in Northern Ireland is very, very serious uh, at this stage. And I, I understand David talking about uh, leadership. There was no leadership shown at the uh, Bobby Story funeral uh, some months ago, so obviously they've learned uh, since that. But this, the situation is very serious. We've seen it for the last number of weeks. It never made sense to me that they were late with a, with a, with a lockdown. Then they opened up for a Week, then they had a two-week circuit breaker, which wasn't enough time. Is there communication going on between our government and the executive in the north about these things and between the health authorities? Have we been making pleas to them to actually try and do things more along the lines that we're doing and having more success with? There has been engagement between the uh, chief medical officers and also at ministerial level. I know there's a north-south meeting, uh, I believe, on Friday in Armagh, uh, where this will be will be discussed. And uh, Minister Donnelly has stated that you know any support that is 
requested of us in terms of our health facilities uh, will, will, will be offered. What about the border counties? Because previously we had an enhanced level three for Dublin and for Donegal. And we have seen at various times higher numbers in Cavan, Monaghan and Louth. Do you envisage again, if we see numbers and area problems in the border areas, that there may have to be different types of restrictions for different parts of the Republic? It is possible. Um, it worked in obviously in, in uh, Lee Shaffley and Kildare. wasn't popular at the time, but it, it did work. Um, again, that would be a decision that would have to be made. But uh, clearly, the border counties are most at risk with the with the cross uh, border uh, movement. And again, people have to make decisions in terms of uh, you know where they want to shop and where they where they want to to socialise and make those decisions and um, you know not put themselves in danger or their neighbours. Now we had today Dr. David Nabarro from the World Health Organization urging people to wear their face masks if they go to other people's houses or if they're taking visitors in over Christmas, only to take them off when they're eating their meals, to try and maintain distancing at dinner tables and the rest of it. Would Sinn Féin and you suggest to people that that's what they should be doing? Of course, we have to listen, Matt, to the public health advice. Uh, we have to be careful and we have to be cautious and we have to remind ourselves that this virus is still here. It's still spreading north and south. And rather than Sean taking pot shots at Sinn Féin, very cheap shots in my view, what he should be focused on is better north-south cooperation right across the board, which we haven't seen. I could remind Sean of what happened during the summer months where they wasted those summer months in relation to not investing in testing and tracing. But I'm focused now on what we need to do over the next number of weeks and the next number of months. And what we don't want to see is the virus again get out of control. We have to make sure that we can keep it under control as best we can. Of course, I'm concerned about what's happening in the north. I'm also concerned about what's happening in the south. This week, by the way, we saw record numbers of patients again on hospital trolleys or the highest number since the pandemic struck, 316 patients on trolleys across different acute hospitals. So we have pressures north and south, Matt, and we have to make sure that the collective effort of all of us in having proper north-south cooperation is what's put in place. There, there and we're is, doing our is, best, Sean, by the way, in the there executive. Is, there is north-south north. North cooperation um, in, in relation to this very serious matter because it affects both jurisdictions. And quite clearly, uh, an All-Ireland policy would be uh, the best policy. Um, obviously, there, there, there are issues within the executive um, in terms of the, the, the makeup of that. What I would say, and I, I, I don't know where, what figures you have in relation to trolleys, but I know Anne O'Connor, the Chief Operations Officer for the HSE, has stated that we're still 50% lower trolley numbers than this time last year. They're still too high, but they're around 225. Yeah, the IMMO so. yesterday was very Irish Medical Organisation, very critical of the high numbers. And if that's happening when we have relatively low COVID numbers, what's going to happen in relation to trolleys and capacity in our hospitals if those numbers go up, as Kingston Mills was telling us, is inevitable? As I said, we have 50% less than this time last year. And I mean, there have been, you know, uh, record, it was way record, too high last year. Just record. because it's 50% less doesn't mean it's acceptable, is it, to have over 300 people on trolleys? Even one person on trolley is too many, but it is, as I said, 50% better than last year. And what we've seen is massive investment in terms of the winter plan, in terms of extra beds, in terms of extra staffing, in terms of additional 5 million home help hours. All of this will assist in terms of getting people out of hospitals quickly. We also, Sean, we also Sean have less people going to hospitals. We have less procedures because of COVID. That's one of the reasons why we have less pressures. I would be concerned, Matt, if we have rising numbers, what could happen in January. And I'm very mindful 
mindful of what's happening in the north, the huge pressure that's on frontline healthcare workers. As you said, some hospitals operating at 104%. We could very quickly arrive at that situation here in the south. That's why we've invested. So we, that's why we're investing in the, in the winter plan in terms of And the of winter beds, plan was staff. far too inadequate. Most of the beds which it were was, promised hadn't record, been delivered. It was record uh, investment. There's record very little investment. capital funding to build, new, build in new capacity. And if you talk to the people on the ground, because you obviously weren't aware of how many people were on trolleys this week, it was 316. And so sure, the, the SRI today say it'll cost we're a very billion euro, and, and a billion uh, euro to claim or to get rid of the backlog that we have. That's what the SRI says. One billion euro. Where's the money? Well, thankfully, money is available uh, to this country because of management over the last decade. It's not by, been by spent in clearing the backlog by, of by, cases, by, is it? By, by Fine Gael Labour and, and laterally independence. Thankfully, we're in a better situation now uh, than we were that we were able to borrow that money. And, um, you know, that, that, that is important because... But you have to spend it if you borrow it. We are spending. We're spending at record levels in terms of the SRI all areas. The SRI says there's such areas, massive waiting since a billion euro to clear it. Okay, we will leave it there for the moment. After the break, could tourism in Ireland get back on track for St. Patrick's Day? An outrage in the Doyle over these comments by the Taoiseach. Shareholders in the banks were not bailed out. The state took equity. The shareholders were not bailed out. That's not a popular thing to say, but it's the facts. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com Welcome back. Well, we're joined now by Jenny DeSalt, Fulcher Ireland's Director of Sector Development. Jenny, the tourism industry in Ireland apparently hoping to kickstart inbound travel by St. Patrick's Day, a symmetry with a year ago when we had to abandon St. Patrick's Day. But might that be too soon? It's a good question, Matt. I mean, look, in terms of recovery, we do believe that uh, 2021 is going to be a tough year. Uh, the domestic market will recover, but the international market, we do believe, will recover slowly. So there are a number of things that are going to factor into whether that um, international market comes back. And a key part of that is consumer sentiment. So does the visitor actually feel safe to travel? Do you think, will Irish people feel it safe to welcome people coming from other countries? Well, we've been doing some research with communities at the moment, and at the moment what people are saying is they are willing to have domestic visitors coming into their community in kind of February, March. But when we talk about the international visitors, they do tend to talk more about June, July. I think it's important for us to understand that that sentiment is very influenced by what's happening right now. And I think with COVID, numbers in Europe and in the UK and the states all on the increase, 
that's really driving uh, concern, I suppose, at a community level. If things start to turn and change, so as soon as the numbers start to drop and as the vaccination gets rolled out, you will find that that sentiment changes quite quickly. Do you think people, though, will want those coming into Ireland to give an example, haven't been vaccinated, a vaccine passport or certificate? Look, I think for everybody, what we want is safe travel. So I think we need processes in place to ensure that those who are traveling into the country do not have COVID. Uh, and so whether that is the you know, testing and tracing process or whether that's vaccination, I think all of us want you know, really understand the importance of tourism for the economic um, performance of the country. And we do want to get back to having uh, tourism, both domestic and international, but only when it's right and only when it's safe. Now, how much are you expecting over the Christmas period from domestic tourism, given that inter-county travel is going to be allowed from this Friday until the 6th of January? So, yeah, I mean, we have a, a, an industry call. We've, we've met, you know, over 27 times since uh, March, and we actually were on a call with industry this morning. And feedback from industry at the moment is positive in terms of the levels of business that are out there. They are expecting a good increase between the 18th of December and the 6th of January. Uh, so, you know, the, the forecast is that there will be an increase. Is it going to be anywhere near the numbers that it was last year? No, it's not, but it will be a positive increase in where they are right now. Jenny, thank you very much for joining us here on The Tonight Show. Thank you. Sean Kine, might there be a level of almost financial desperation on the parts of hotels and restaurants that they want to get open again and that false Ireland is maybe encouraging things to happen too quickly? Um, I think, you know, talk of, of a normal St. Patrick's Day or even encouraging people to come to, at, at St. Patrick's um, time is, is, is optimistic. Uh, I, I really think we're talking about a summer. Um, and I think, you know, a call will have to be made, in, in my view, um, in early January or mid-January, uh, you know, to call this before people start actually preparing for um, anything to got to do with St. Patrick's. We cannot even countenance the normal parades and having people uh, lining streets looking at parades. I don't think that is any way possible. And even if we look to the summer, if you have things like the Euro 2020 football championships, some games to be played in Dublin next summer, should we be requiring anyone like that coming into the country or indeed any tourists to be providing proof of vaccination before we allow them in? All of that will have to be worked out, Matt. But I think as politicians, we have to be really, really honest with different sectors. And obviously, the tour sector has been decimated. I feel sorry for hotel owners, for people who work in that sector, for bar owners, for restaurants. It's been a hugely challenging year. We all want to see that sector rise as quickly as possible. But we also have to be honest as well. I think the talk of St. Patrick's Day celebrations is premature. Uh, obviously, a lot of hopes are being pinned on the vaccine. And I want to see the vaccine rolled out as quickly as possible. But we then, I mean, you must be thinking about this. I mean, do you think that there should be proof provided by people flying into the country that they have had a vaccine before we welcome them in? Well, we have a traffic light system, Matt, which we are told will work. So obviously we have to work with our European counterparts. We have to listen to the public health experts in terms of what advice they give in all of these areas. We have to hope that the vaccination will happen across Europe as quickly as possible and across the world. And obviously all of that then 
Ireland will be a game changer. And what we need to do is to keep supporting people who work in this sector. So we have to make sure the wage subsidy scheme is, is still in place at the highest levels possible for all of those workers to make sure the supports for those businesses and to make sure that the tourism recovery task force that was set up is properly resourced. It hasn't been adequately resourced from our perspective. So whatever supports can be given, it's just it the supports. If you look at the, the measures that were put in place by the government, like the tourism tax rebate scheme, it didn't work because it excluded one million low-paid workers. It excluded cares anybody that wasn't paying tax, wasn't entitled to it. It came in too late. It came in in October. Have, so what we're saying is the, that the government every support should be, should be put across, in place. Across the hospitality and hotel sector from the pandemic unemployment payment to start with, uh, to the wage subsidy scheme, to ensure that that connection is there between em employers and em employees. And we've been able to do that, as I said, because we've managed the economy prudently um, over the last number of years. And we're in a position where we, this time last year, where we had full employment and we had balanced books. That's the reason we've been able to do what we've been able to do and why, we're, why um, we've been able to get money at low interest rates to be able to provide all the supports that we've provided to businesses uh, and to people um, uh, across every sector over the last uh, number of months at the height of this crisis. Okay, David Cullinan, does that satisfy you? I mean, there's only so much that can be done in a, an emergency situation like this. Yes, but we also have to make sure, Matt, that sectors that have been hit the hardest are supported the most. And many people in the tourism sector would say that wasn't the case and more can be done and should be done. And what we have to have is a plan, a plan for the first couple of months next year, but also a plan for, for the next number of months when we see things reopen again. But for as long as they're not reopen, of course, businesses need to be supported. I mean, if you talk to hotel owners and talk to people who are trying to pay their staff and give them some sort of top up, bring as many back as they can, keep the lights on, pay the fixed costs, it's hugely challenging. The same for pubs, the wet pubs, which are closed, most of them since March, some open for a couple of weeks. We have people who work in that sector who haven't done a day's of work course, since of March. Of course the government recognises that's why we've put in place those supports, that's why we've given a rates holiday for example, uh, that's why we've provided restart grants and restart plus grants and we've increased the... Um, yeah, but the, do these bailouts come anything close to the bailouts provided for the banks? back in the end a decade ago because did you see that clip we played earlier that was a mirage Martin. Oh, you'd have to ask Fianna Fáil about that now I wouldn't know I think I know we came You're in, in government we came with in, them we came in and sorted we came in and sorted out the mess in 2011 and look you, whatever, you, about, whatever you, about the semantics are you embarrassed to hear him say that I mean okay technically the shareholders in the banks weren't bailed out but the bondholders most certainly were and it cost an extra 64 billion euro of state money to keep those banks open or to close a couple of them if that's not a bailout when what is of course the banks were bailed out um that, that that's clear and as i said you know people people lost their life savings they lost um, some people you know lost their lives many people immigrated lost jobs careers you know the whole place was decimated at that at that time so uh, i didn't see the full full context of the debate but certainly of course yes, both yes, your parties voted in favor of the bank guarantee at the end of september 2008 so you're involved, you're both culpable for well, the bailout as well, aren't you? Matt, we that is. No, no, we didn't support the bank guarantee in the final vote in the Dáil. In the earlier stages, we indicated that we could possibly give support if the bank guarantee was right, but of course it wasn't. And when we saw the terms of the bank guarantee, we voted against it. But if I can speak to the Taoiseach's comments today, Micheál Martin was a senior minister in that government at the time. 
a senior minister in that uh, government. He was as responsible as anybody else for the bank guarantee. He should know the human cost of that. The National Pension Reserve Fund was wiped out. We had hundreds of thousands of people who had to emigrate. We had people who lost everything. We had businesses which closed. And yet huge amounts of money was taken from taxpayers, put into the banks, and the net cost of that today is €46 billion. Euro. So I think Micheál Martin has a bit of a neck to try and rewrite history in relation to what happened with Not the banks. Rewriting of history and going on about a lot of things well, at the moment, well, though, isn't there? I mean, there should isn't. We still everyone should be accountable for the sins of the past, even if they have perhaps apologised for them, as I know he has in the past? Well, listen, that's a different matter, and he did apologise. But, Matt, in relation to the bank guarantee, I think it is crazy for the Taoiseach to try and claim okay. that there wasn't the bank guarantee. Of all course right. there was. Thank you, David Cullinan and Sean Kine, for joining us this evening. That is all we have time for tonight. I'll be back on the radio tomorrow. and back here tomorrow night at 10 o'clock for our final show of the season. Thank you very much for watching. Until tomorrow night, good night. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series.